0: The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for Jewish ceremonial washings each holding twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, without knowing where it came from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this as the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee and so revealed his glory and his disciples began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. We have in our Gospel reading today a very familiar and very popular story from the Gospels, this account of the miraculous transformation of water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And that makes it a dangerous reading for us to engage. And you know, one might fairly say, Father, what's dangerous about this reading? it's the fact that it is so familiar to us. Because when there are familiar passages of scripture, especially passages that are often our favorites, the curious thing is that we have an amazing ability to stop listening to them. They become like that relative who always tells the same stories. And as soon as the person begins to speak, we know where it's going and so we really don't have to follow because we know what it's what's going to be said and a passage like this which we've heard many times has the danger of as soon as we begin to hear it we assume we know it and we know where it's going and we know what it says and that's a shame because scripture is not my uncle who tells the same stories all the time because The field of scripture merits repeated digging to find the treasure that sits beneath the surface of its words. And this is a remarkably rich passage, this brief account from the second chapter of St. John's Gospel. And to understand fully what is happening in this story, we have to pay attention to its first words and its last words, because they frame it for us. The story begins as St. John tells it, that there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Before this is a tale, before this is a recounting, of a miracle at a wedding. It is first and foremost, a description of what happens when the mother of Jesus is present. This is sacred scripture. This is the Holy Spirit instructing us on the difference that is made by Our Lady being present. And so it's not just a story about a wedding. This is an instruction about the importance and the role and the activity of Our Lady when she is present. And the end of the story, the very end of the Gospel passage, says something curious too. Jesus worked this as the beginning of his signs, and his disciples began to believe in him. And we see something else. There is more here than simply a miracle at a wedding for a bride and a groom. That is there. But that everything that happens here is also at the service of the Lord revealing his glory so that his disciples begin to believe in him. just from those two sentences look at how much we've learned we really do well and it really is an important skill when we engage scripture to pay attention to the way the passage begins to pay attention to the way it ends because in no small measure that often frames the action for us in a way that we wouldn't get on our own otherwise and what a strange statement that is his disciples began to believe in him. How were they disciples if they didn't believe in him in the first place? And so note what we have here. We have an accounting by the Apostle John, one of those disciples, that is saying because of what happened here, the faith that we began with became much stronger. Stronger much clearer, much more distinct. We weren't simply following a teacher to learn, but now there is a new level of belief in Christ himself. And this new level of belief follows upon what happens when Our Lady is present. Well, then it's very good that we have this gospel reading here at Our Lady's Shrine. Here, where we emphasize repeatedly the importance of turning to Our Lady with confidence. But now let's see what the Lord has to say about that. Let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say about that. And so we go back to the beginning. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Note how clear that is. Note how distinct that is. The evangelist goes out of his way to give us that detail. And only then does he say, And Jesus and his disciples were also invited. And note what he is stressing. Our lady received her own invitation. She didn't come on Jesus' invitation. The holy spirit is giving us a clear instruction here we often as much as we love our lady take her presence for granted we assume that she just comes with jesus in a way that jesus brings her along and on the one hand that is true but the story here the lesson here is the importance of making it a point to not take her presence for granted to invite her to be present, to welcome her, that the one who invites the Lord does well to also make it a point to invite Our Lady to be present. And Our Lady who is invited is there, yes, with her son, but she is there because she has been specifically welcomed specifically invited, specifically engaged. And what a difference this invitation makes. Because soon enough, what do we see? We see that the wine of the celebration runs short. And something curious, as soon as the wine runs out, The servants who are serving the wine obviously know they have a lack. And who else knows? She knows. Our lady knows. Think about this for a minute. When you go to a wedding, who do you pay attention to? The bride and the groom or the wait staff? You pay attention to your family, correct? You pay attention to the bride and the groom. And note Our Lady, who being invited by the bride and the groom has eyes that go beyond the bride and the groom. In fact, her concern for the bride and the groom extends then to a concern for the servants. And as soon as they lack what they need to be effective servants, she notices and she sees. Note how her concern for the newly married couple includes not just a concern for the quality of the celebration, but an attentiveness to those who are serving, that they have what they need to continue serving. And Our Lady who notices this, isn't content to sit back and watch. She immediately begins to act. And note again, does anybody ask Our Lady for help? No. Note the marvelous activity here. The bride and the groom are unaware that there's an issue. But Our Lady, whom they invited, sees the issue. No one comes to Our Lady plunks a candle down in front of her, lights it, and begins to say, Hail Mary, full of grace, please help me, we're out of wine. No one comes to Our Lady and says, Turn to your son, because we have a need. She doesn't wait to be asked. Note how marvelous that is. She sees the lack and because she is the very best and most attentive of mothers, when she sees the need in the household, she doesn't wait for someone else to point it out. She immediately begins to solve it in just the same way that if this mother right here, I'm gonna embarrass you, if this mother right here waited for these little guys to be able to recognize everything they needed and to ask for it before it became a problem, they wouldn't make it to their next year, would they? (laughs) A good mother must anticipate the need, must see the need, and on seeing it, must do something about it. So this beautiful lesson, when Our Lady is invited, when she is present, She sees those lacks and those needs that we ourselves often overlook. And on seeing them, she begins immediately to make a difference. She turns directly to her son. She isn't content to wait for somebody else to fix it. What a remarkably beautiful difference that we see here by means of her presence. The bride and the groom don't even know that there's a need and she's already moving. The servants are unaware that anybody else knows, and she is already moving on their behalf. And her movement is a direct engagement with her son. And notice the beauty of Our Lady's prayer, because she is praying here. She turns to her son, and she simply says, they have no wine amen boy that's really different from our prayer isn't it when we have a need and we turn to the lord we do it a little differently oh lord jesus here i am i'm unworthy to be in your presence but i praise you and i beg you please hear the prayer that i put in front of you and then we begin naming our needs and we get really specific don't we you know notice what our lady doesn't say She doesn't say they have no wine and a nice Merlot would be really good. But we would do that. She doesn't say they have no wine and could you get it from that nice little shop down the street because I really love those people. But we would do that. Our prayer sometimes falls apart because we get so specific and so controlling. We don't simply come to the Lord with our need. We try to tell him how to do his job too. And we do that all the time when we pray for our family members. You know, we have wives praying for their husbands, saying, Lord, please, that man, change him in this way, this way, this way, and this way. And then we have the husband saying, oh, Lord, that woman, have her leave me alone in this way, this way, this way, and this way. We pray for our children, and we get so specific that we don't give the Lord any room to move. And then we wonder why nothing happens with our prayer. Note Our Lady. She's content to place before him the need in its basic form and then let him do what he needs to do. And this is not to say that we can never be specific in our praying, but we want to avoid falling into that trap of being overly controlling overly specific, constantly specific in our prayer because we need to leave the Lord his freedom. And so Our Lady does that. They have no wine, And she trusts that he will do what is best because of who he is. But Jesus is tough. He's even tough with his mother. And he turns to her and he says, woman, what does this concern of yours have to do with me? Now, I'm gonna come back here and consult my experts, which would be these guys. Now, if your mother asked you to do something and you said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Would that go well with you? No. In fact, if your mom's like my mom, she turned to you and said, Your hour has just arrived. (laughs) Note how Jesus responds to Our Lady. He doesn't say, Yes, I'll get right on that. He answers her with that voice of challenging insecurity that often comes to us when we finish praying. How many times have you prayed for something really important? and felt such strong doubts, such strong insecurity on the back end, you ended up taking your prayer back. Oh, but Lord, if you're not gonna answer my prayer, I understand. It's almost as if you hear that voice, what does your concern have to do with me? And we spend time trying to justify why we need to be listened to. Look at the faith of Our Lady, because the Lord speaks to her this way to teach us that sometimes He will give us that difficult answer, that difficult look, to see how real our faith is in the first place. And so Our Lady's attitude is, she's not gonna take her prayer back. Her Lady's attitude is, I can't tell you what my need has to do with you because the last time I checked, you're the son of God and I am not. Rather, it's your job to show me whether this has anything to do with you or not. Note the difference in the attitude. I don't need to convince you. I don't need to tell you how this relates. I need you to show me what my concern has to do with you. And so rather than arguing, rather than trying to justify herself, she gives her son the opportunity to show her. Note how bold she is. What does this have to do with me? And Our Lady's answer is to call the servants over. And she calls the servants to herself and she points to her son remember what jesus said what does this have to do with me look at what she's doing she's saying you show us all you show us all in fact you do it by talking to these guys who need the wine what a marvelous response that is she doesn't take her prayer away she doubles down on it because she knows whatever he will do is the right thing, the perfect thing, the best thing. And she is going to spur him and give him every reason to do it. And then there's the servants. She calls them over, she points to Jesus, and they're all thinking this guy must have the key to the wine cellar, because they, all, they need wine, right? Remember the wine? But Jesus is tough, we just saw that. And so Jesus turns to them, they need wine, right? And what does Jesus ask for? Does that make any sense? It's okay to say no. Sometimes scripture doesn't make earthly sense. And if we don't let ourselves see that, we'll miss the beauty. In fact, Jesus doesn't ask for a glass of water because he's thirsty. He asks for approximately 150 gallons of water. Does that make any sense? If you ran out of gas on the highway, would you ask for three cases of Coca-Cola? It would be foolish. It would be stupid. Look at this. The Lord meets those servants with a ridiculous, foolish, even stupid request. They need wine. Fill all of those jugs up with water. It makes no earthly sense. It's a foolish request that requires a ridiculous amount of work. Because how did you get water back then? You dropped a bucket down the well, you hauled it up, and you carried it to the jar to fill it. That's a lot of work. That's ridiculous, and the amazing thing is that they do it. They don't say, let's go ask somebody else, this guy's nuts. They don't say, now I know why we're out of wine because this guy drank it all. (laughs) They do it. And let's be honest, that's not the response most of us would make. Sometimes the Lord turns to the servant who wants to serve him faithfully and he asks something that makes no sense. And it's easy to walk away at that moment. It's easy to go somewhere else at that moment. He asks for a ridiculous amount of water. He asks for a ridiculous amount of extra work. And amazingly, they do it. And they do it generously. They fill the jars, Saint John says, to the very brim. And just imagine this. They're breathing hard. They just did all this work. They filled the jars completely and they're thinking now he's going to give us the wine. And Jesus is still tough. Look at how, look at what, look at how hard Jesus is on these poor guys. He then says that what's in the jars? Water. And the servants know that because they put it there. What does he say? Oh, take some of that and bring it to your boss. And again, the worldly response is, if I do that, I am so going to get fired. And none of this makes any sense yet. And yet immediately and strangely, they do it. In fact, St. John points out that not one of them, but all of them did this. Just imagine 10 or 12 guys carrying a ladle of water to the chief steward, the guy in charge of the party, and saying that why over there told us to bring this to you and he wants you to drink it. It's a ladle full of water. And it's not until the steward who is probably wondering, all right, what did you put in here? Lifts that ladle to his lips that we have wine. Look at how marvelous this miracle is and how many steps we had to go through to get it. It wasn't as simple as Our Lady said they have no wine, and Jesus saying, let me hook you up and take care of you, waving his hand, and there's the wine. Rather, the Lord worked two miracles because of Our Lady. That point to a third. And now you're looking at me saying, Father, I know about the water changing into wine, but what are the other miracles? The water changing into wine is only the second miracle in the story. The first miracle is the way those servants responded to him because that's not ordinary. That is not ordinary generosity. That is supernatural generosity. That full, complete, immediate, generous response to a difficult word from Christ is not earthly, it is beyond earthly. Something changed those servants so that they could respond to Christ with that power and that vigor. And note, if they don't respond to him, we don't have the miracle. Wow, how many miracles how many moments of grace have we lost in the church, have we lost in our world because the servants thought they knew better and didn't respond? Jesus could have worked this miracle in any way, but he chose to work it only through those servants, these miraculous servants. And only one thing happened. Only one thing happened. Our lady who was invited called them to herself. And she brought them into a relationship with her son in a way that allowed her to share her faith with them. Do whatever he tells you. When Our Lady says that, she's not giving advice. She's sharing her faith with them. She's the one who received an even dumber word 30 years earlier. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And what did she say to the angel? Behold, I am the servant of the Lord let it be with me according to your word let it be with me as you have said whatever you tell me let it be do whatever he tells you our lady is sharing her faith with those servants and so they respond these servants who begin as ordinary become our lady's servants because they respond to her and it is our lady's servants who serve jesus in this miraculous way what a remarkable lesson that is and all the while the bride and the groom are completely unaware of what happens and seeing this seeing what happens Through those servants, the third miracle occurs. And that's in the hearts of the apostles, the hearts of the disciples. Because the servants through whom the miracle came became the example, became the way Jesus revealed his glory. He revealed his glory through Our Lady's Prayer and Our Lady's servants in a way that the disciples could deepen their own faith. If Our Lady simply said, give me a certain quantity of wine or a certain kind of wine, we wouldn't have gotten all of this. Rather, the Lord gives three miracles. The visible one of the water into wine is the one that gets our attention. But note these two hidden miracles in the hearts of the servants and the hearts of the disciples that are also the result of Our Lady's simple prayer. What a difference she makes. And so a question for you, my friends. Could you have a pretty good party with about 150 gallons of wine? (laughs) That would translate to roughly 600 bottles. Do you think you could have a good celebration with that? notice that as ridiculous as the instruction was the miracle is as abundant and if those servants responded with any less generosity there would have been less wine but every bit of their faithfulness every bit of their work filling those jars is transformed into a miracle not right away, but after it was done. And note how wonderful that is. The Lord is excessive in his generosity. He is excessive in the blessing. It's not just that the wine is better, it is more abundant, ridiculously abundant. There is more goodness there than anybody can receive. There was a wedding at Canaan, Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. In our parishes, in our homes, at our shrine, this is the vital and important difference that making a place and extending an invitation to Our Lady makes. Would that all of us in our homes, in our parishes, and here in this holy place readily extend and renew that invitation to our lady because everything is made better everything is made different when she is present amen